Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. Can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Kyle Lukoff is the author of many books for young readers. His debut middle grade novel, Too Bright to See, received a Newbery Honor, the Stonewall Award, and was a National Book Award finalist. His picture book, When Aiden Became a Brother, also won the Stonewall, and his book, Call Me Max, has been banned in schools across the country. While becoming a writer, he worked as a bookseller for 10 years, and then nine more years as a school librarian. He hopes you're having a nice day. Here is my conversation with Kyle. Hello, Kyle. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad to be here, too. Hi, Julie. This is such a treat for me, not only because we're going to get to talk about libraries and nerdy library things, but also I'm so excited to talk about your new book, both the one that was announced just recently, your picture books, and also your upcoming middle grade book, Different Kinds of Fruit, which I just finished today. And I really loved it. I thought it was so well done. And you did a tremendous job in it. So we can, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to start with Too Bright to See. You're a National Book Award finalist for that book. So congratulations. I think I should make you a t-shirt that you can wear all the time. (laughs) Ask me about my book. (laughs) Something like that. I actually, so they give you a medal for the National Book Award finalists, which my boyfriend then got put onto like a custom made like leather medallion holder. I never wear it because It just, I love it and it's beautiful. And I also don't know how to answer questions about it. (laughs) That makes sense. I'm not sure that it would really, but I mean, maybe you should just wear it to the most random places where it wouldn't come up, right? Like when you go get a coffee and see if anybody brings it up, you can test it. It would be fun to wear it to very incongruous settings, I think. Yes, exactly. Nothing to do with writing, like when you're going to the gym or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'd be perfect. So... What was that experience like for you publishing Too Bright to See and just having it just have such resonance? I mean, what was, what's that ride been like? It's been surreal, but Mm. also very rewarding. So Too Bright to See is one of many projects that I started working on a long time ago and then gave up on because I didn't think that I was very good at it. And then a couple of years later, decided to look at it again and realized that it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was. Okay. And then I decided that I would force myself to just finish it and maybe see if this one agent thought that it was any good and keep my fingers crossed. And it was hard to justify spending that much time working on something that I was half convinced 
wasn't especially good and wouldn't really go anywhere, but I had nothing else to do. And <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I was working as a school librarian. I had the summers free. I'm a relatively quick writer. So I thought, what, like, why not? Why not finish this? Why not see what it can do? And having a project go from, I don't know if anyone is going to like this to National Book Award finalist and also Newberry Honor yes. is still weird. It is, I still sometimes think like it's, it's hard to describe how weird it is, especially because so much of my life has revolved around books for so long that it's weird to go to like the other side of the curtain, so to speak, to go from being like a reader and a bookseller and a librarian and a reviewer to the author. Yes. Very strange. I'm sure. And I would imagine it has more, not more meaning, of course, everyone would love a Newbery medal, but I think the idea that you are, that you have such a full appreciation for its significance and having admired those for so long and then being on that list, I can imagine that would be pretty surreal. Sounds like the word for it. But also I think the strangest part is that in the back of my head, I've always thought that I would have some experience that would make me feel like a fundamentally different person. Mm -hmm. I thought once my first book got published, I would stop feeling like a failed writer and start feeling like a real writer. And then that didn't happen. And then once more books got published, I thought that once I got more books published, I would start feeling less like a hack and more like an author. And I like, now I like, I know that I'm a writer. That would be ridiculous to pretend that I'm not. Right. But I still feel fundamentally like the same person. Like this experience has not transformed me. Mm. And I think part of me is always waiting to feel transformed but I still feel the same. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes total sense. Why do you think writing is just so closely tied to that weird? I don't know. I think you're not alone in that. I mean, I talked to a few writers and it just seems like a little existential crisis and angst is just like what we're going to have forever. Is that, I wonder why that is. I think... There's a couple of things going into that. One of it is that once you write a book, it is no longer in your head and it exists in the world somewhat separate from you. So readers will have their own interpretations. Readers will take from it what they want and readers will bring to it what they have. It is yes. no longer something that is entirely within your control like it is when it's just inside your head or just inside your computer. And then I think the other side of it is, and like, I don't think that this part is unique to being a writer. I think many people who have found themselves more in the public eye than they are accustomed to experience this, where it's like, I am still me. And now suddenly people care what I have to think. Like mm -hmm. my opinions haven't changed. My fundamental sense of self has not changed. My inherent value as a human being continues to be equal to the inherent value of any other human being. But now people are offering me a lot of money to say the things that I've been just saying for free this whole time. <laughs> and that's weird. You're right. That is, there's not a really good uh, box to categorize that in your mind, right? Like, how do I, I was saying, like you said, I was saying this for free. <laughs> and now. And now you want to me to say it. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> twist my arm, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> right. If you well, insist. If you insist, I guess. Give me a little rolling back from your being paid to tell people what you think. Where, how did you start out? I heard an interview with you where you were talking about somebody telling you that library school was a thing and you were really surprised by that and delighted, it sounds like. So tell me how you got into libraries and kind of your path on that. Yeah. I mean, it's silly. Like I obviously knew that library school was vaguely a thing. One of my very good friends had been in library school and was a librarian, but it never quite clicked for me until I was literally sitting I would say my friend's apartment, but it was actually a houseboat that he lived in that okay. was illegally docked somewhere in New York City. I don't honestly wear because I don't want to get them in trouble. Of course. Um, and we were just like hanging out and he was opening his mail. He was like, hey, I got into library school. And I was like, wait, if if you got into library school, <laughs> then I could, because we're kind of the same. We've got a lot of things in common. I could do this thing too. Are you a librarian by the end of that. And he's like, I, I think so. I think that's what happens. And I was like, I should have been doing this yesterday. Why am I not doing this right now? Because at the time I had been working for Barnes and Noble for, I mean, I started working for them when I was 16 okay. and this was 2000 and whatever, nine, 10, something like that. So I've been working for Barnes and Noble on and off for a very long time. And I knew that the only job that I ever wanted was to help people find books but Barnes & Noble was paying me under $10 an hour. Yes. One cannot live on that for very long. <laughs> One cannot. So it just sort of clicked. I was like, oh, this is what I should be doing. This is like the same job, but better. And it all unfolded from there. Like I, I applied, I got in, I decided to focus in children's and youth librarianship. I fell into the world of independent school libraries because a friend of mine got me an interview for a job at one private school that I didn't get because my schedule just didn't meet their needs. Okay. And then the librarian from that school forwarded my resume to another librarian at another school who six months later emailed saying, dear Mr. Lukoff, we got your resume. Would you like to apply for a job here? And I was like, yes, I would. That sounds lovely. Thank you. Yes. That was what funneled me into that specific field. And then I found the job that I got that became my job for the next eight years at another school in New York City, which is where I learned everything that I could have wanted to know about writing for younger children. Were you writing when you started that job? I started to write with the explicit intention of being published the summer before, because I had the summer off and I knew that I was going to be making money soon. So I wasn't like panicked about finding a part-time job or whatever. Yeah. And I decided to try to write a trans-themed young adult novel which had a great title, a really good opening scene, but not a great rest of it, I guess. Okay. And I tried really hard to find an agent or a publisher for that one, and it just was not working. But I decided that instead of giving up on writing, period, I would then see if I could maybe publish this weird little picture book idea that I had had in my head for years. And that turned into my debut, which was a storytelling of Ravens, which Mm. came out in 2018. Wow. That's a pretty quick, you've turned out quite a bit of work in a short amount of time. It's true. <laughs> went from So I sold Ravens in 2015. Okay. And so that took three years from yes. selling to it coming out. But between that sale and today, I mean, that first sale, so like one sale in 2015. Yeah. As of now, in March of 2022, I am at 19. <laughs> 
Most of it are not out yet. A good number of which haven't even been announced yet, but I know about them and that's very exciting for me. That's so thrilling. Do you go to Barnes and Noble and just look at your books on the shelf? Because I totally would. Oh, I do. I love going, I love going to bookstores and looking, I get sad and like mildly insulted when they're not there, which is rude. I know I don't need to feel that way. I cannot help it. One time I was in North Carolina and my boyfriend was suggesting, he's like, oh, we should go to this store. We should go to this store. And I found out later that he had actually like checked the stores ahead of time to make sure that they had copies before we went because he's the sweetest. He is the sweetest man. That is the most thoughtful gesture I think I've ever heard. That's so, what a loving thing to do for your person, especially because like we're saying, writing is sort of imbued with this insecurity. And then you're right. I Then you go to look for it in a store and it's not there. And it's true. Like, what do you mean it's not here? I wrote it. What he couldn't know is that one of those bookstores, a bookseller, like kind of subtly accused me of planting my book on the shelf because she's like, well, I haven't seen this one before. Like, did you find this here? And I was like, I, I did. <laughs> this is a re- I, mm, I, did, Lovely. I did find it here. <laughs> it was here. I'm not in the business of purchasing my own stock to then put in someone else's store. That's not a good business model. No. And like, this was after the New York Times review came out. I was like, no, this is like, this is people like this book. I'm not just. (laughs) I'll go. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Never, never a dull moment. It sounds like in the life of even a published writer. So uh, the things I have to look forward to, I can't wait to go into a bookstore and feel mildly insulted. I will look forward to that actually. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you, so let's talk about your book that is coming out when, so different kinds of fruit, when will that be released? April 12th. April 12th. Okay. So exciting. I'll have to check. I can't remember. We're recording this before then. And I think it's coming out right around then, but I do want to talk about it because I, well, first, will you give a synopsis? I'm kind of terrible at summarizing books. So give us how you, what is different kinds of fruit about? And then I would love to tell you what I think. So I'd love yeah. to hear do you. Do you want like a one to two sentence synopsis or a slightly longer one? Let's do slightly longer. Okay. So different kinds of fruit is about this girl named Annabelle, who is, I believe she's a, she's a sixth grader. She gets mm-hmm. very excited when a new kid shows up in her class named Bailey, not just because Bailey's like, new and has cool shoes, but she's also really excited to find out that Bailey's non-binary because she's never really met like a queer person before, but she knows that that is somehow related to who she might be someday. She's feeling a lot of like uncertainty about her own identity. So she goes home to tell her mom and dad about, she's like, Hey, guess what? I made this new friend. Their name is Bailey. And they just moved here. And she keeps waiting for her parents to be like, what's that pronoun? (laughs) So she can then explain to her parents everything that she just learned about like non-binary people and like they, them pronouns. But her parents, instead of like asking her about it, just shut down and then are like quiet and cold and strange for like days. Finally, she brings Bailey home and her dad, her both of her parents are very unwelcoming, but her dad is especially unwelcoming. And then her dad is like, I don't want to be friends with people like that. Like, you're just going to get confused. It's just a phase. So Annabelle, you know, gets very upset. It's like, why, why are my parents being like this? 
I guess I always knew that they never want to talk about this kind of thing. And I guess I know why now. But then the next day, her dad takes her for a walk and says, I don't know how to tell you this. I've never wanted to tell you this, but it feels like I have to tell you this. And he shares that he is trans and that he was the parent who gave birth to her. But that when he made that choice, his local trans community told him that being pregnant makes you less of a man, that he should have just stayed a lesbian, that he would make them look bad. And so they cut him out of their community. So he and his wife decided to move after she was born. And he just cuts off that side of himself and just intentionally removes himself from any kind of trans community. So the rest of the, that's how it starts. Yes. And then the rest of the book are all these characters learning from and growing with each other. I loved it. I thought it was just a tremendous book. It was also really funny. Like parts of it, I laughed out loud and I love as a reader laughing. So I was even <laughs> the part about, was there some book that all moms got to read called What Tone of Voice to Use If You Want to Devastate Your Child? <laughs> <laughs> because I was guffawing at that. And it's so true because my kids are now old enough to imitate me. And sometimes the other day they were talking to each other and saying, yeah, when mom gets, and she says, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> so I I really, I loved it for so many reasons. When you wrote it, what was the, the main, you know, we talk in the elementary school about the author's purpose. Did you have a main purpose or what was your thought? Was it a story that just came to you and you wanted to write it? How did you get there? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the number one purpose was that, when we first sold to write to see my editor was like, Hey, if you write a second book, we'll give you more money. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I can do that. And then Check. I had to, and then I had to come up with an idea. Yes. Most of those, most of those initial ideas are maybe turning into something else, which is cool. But um, okay. the idea for this one came to me very organically. I was hanging out with an ex of mine, actually. So I ran into him at the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference, which ironically is like organized by my current boyfriend, who I didn't know at the time. But I ran into this other guy that I used to date. Okay. And we talked for the first time, really, since we broke up. And then he was visiting New York and we were just catching up about everything. And he mentioned a friend of his who's also trans. They like went to high school together and said, yeah, his wife just had a baby. He's wondering about if he's going to tell her that he's trans, mm. maybe he's going to wait until she's 18. Maybe he's never going to tell her. Like, he's just not sure if he wants her to know that about his history. And I was like, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, like, they live in a pretty big city. Mm -hmm. There are definitely trans kids in that city. Right. Like, I was just imagining his daughter going to kindergarten or first grade and coming home and being like, dad, 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 I made this new friend and his name is Jack, but his name used to be, you know, mm -hmm. he used to be a girl. Did you know that you could do that? Did you know that girls could become boys? And like, I'm imagining this like very innocent child excitedly explaining something to her father who did that? Uh -huh. And I was just imagining all the different ways that he might react. And I was like, man, like, that would make a great novel. Wait, I have to write another book. I could just do this one. <laughs> yes. I was very happy about that. And the entire book, I mean, it took a while to like, you know, get it to where it is now. But sure. once I had that dynamic, it all just 
went from there um, because there's just so much in that to ex- to explore. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, honestly, inter-community conflict is the only topic that I am interested in. So the idea of like an older, mostly stealth trans man being forced to interface with like this younger, like non-binary person that like two outsiders that looks like they are the same, but the two of them know how profoundly different they are um, is just endlessly fascinating to me. And then the main character, Annabelle, is, you know, she she knows that she's not straight, but she doesn't know enough about what else she could be to really have that kind of language. So mm-hmm. she is, in a lot of ways, sort of functioning as the reader or a reader who might be as unfamiliar as she is. So yes. she's a vehicle for readers to get their questions answered in a lot of ways. But also, like, I wanted to give her a very strong voice and a very strong personality so she didn't feel like a featureless vehicle or stand-in for an ignorant reader. I wanted to, her to feel like a real, like, vibrant human being who is learning something. There was another thing I was going to say, and I don't remember what it was, but that's okay. Okay. If it comes back to you, just... Oh, oh no. Oh, I do remember. perfect. So I wanted Annabelle to, like, function for a reader who might have questions, yeah. but I also wanted it to be clear that I was not writing this only for people who were uninformed. So, like, you know the dynamic between Annabelle's mom and dad has a lot going on that a lot of adults will like see themselves in. And and, like Bailey clearly has a lot going on that they just don't share with Annabelle because like, they don't want to tell everything to this like random girl they just met. And I tried to give like more depth kind of surrounding Annabelle so that it wasn't that I was like just writing for people who like didn't get it or whatever. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Were there other pieces, were there any scenes or any parts that were really hard for you to write or did it all flow? Do you mean hard, like technically or hard emotionally? Both. I think I was leaning toward hard emotionally, but I'd also be interested to hear hard technically. I think the parts that were the hardest technically were the scenes that were the most like info dumpy where like I actually did need to communicate big things to the reader in ways that didn't feel like a lecture. Yes. I I am sure that there are parts where I didn't succeed as well as I wanted to because I am fallible, like every person. One, You're not perfect? I know that That's weird. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know that I promised you that, but unfortunately I lied. I know one reviewer said that a couple characters felt somewhat broadly drawn, which 
I would never argue with someone's interpretation of my work. And it was hard to make each character feel like a real human being. I will say that, that Bailey's dad might come off as incredibly like a parody of someone, except you have not met the man that I based him on. He was my favorite character. Oh, I didn't I feel him. like he was a parody. I felt oh, like he yeah, was. No. I also no, just I know. I know that guy. Like he's great. <laughs> and I love him. And he's also exactly that. <laughs> so as for hard emotionally, it wasn't. Okay. So the part that was hardest to write. Okay. No, this is true. The part that was hardest to write was the crush. So mm-hmm. in the first and like second draft of this book, Annabelle did not have a crush on Bailey. Annabelle was just really excited to be their friend. Okay. And then my editor was like, I'm not really buying this friendship as it is. Like the stakes just don't seem high enough for Annabelle. And I was like, oh, Annabelle has a crush on Bailey. Because also like in the first draft, Annabelle was just straight. Like she didn't, she had no, there was no like questioning of her identity. Okay. And I was like, oh, damn it. She has a crush on them okay, mm, how do I do this? So then I had to go back and like put all of that in, which was very hard from a technical level because then I need to like put so much more in so many different conversations. Absolutely. But it was also hard emotionally because when I was first writing that, I, you know, I was sort of in the midst of a two-year-long obsession with someone who sucked. (laughs) And prior to that two-year-long obsession with someone who sucked, I had had like, a brief crush on someone who like didn't like me but and prior to that my like last relationship ended in like 2017 and that wasn't even a real like relationship it was just like a complicated thing okay so like I hadn't had a good real crush on someone in forever and I was also starting to worry that like I never would feel that way again but and then my editor was like, oh, I'm not quite buying this crash. Like it, it's not as well integrated as it could be. And I should check the dates on that email. But like it was right around then that I met my boyfriend. And I was like, I have a crash again. I can write this. I remember what this feels like. And I don't feel hopeless anymore. Like, <laughs> I, can, like, actually, like I can actually like re, I can um, unearth those feelings that I yes. had sort of like, clamped down because it feels safe for me to remember what it feels like to have that like butterfly excitedness about someone where you just want to look at them all the time. Yeah. In the acknowledgements, I say that I could have done this without him, but I'm glad I didn't have to. And I probably could have figured it out, but I don't think it would have been as convincing. I want to change lanes and talk about your new project, which was just announced. And Tell me about that, Awake Asleep, which by the Mm -hmm. way, that title is amazing and I can't wait. I'm so glad that I finally get to talk about it, mostly because it is so dramatically different from anything that I've written before. Mm -hmm. That's not true. It is more similar to my first two books, to Storytelling of Ravens and Explosion at the Poem Factory, but it is still just a profound shift for me. So it's a... I wrote it as a board book. I think it's being released as both a picture book and a board book, but it is intended for babies, like newborns through like 18 months old, maybe two-year-olds, but it is for adults to read to very, very young children. And I wrote it on the 4th of July. I think I maybe changed a couple words a day or so later, but I literally wrote it in one sitting. It was so 4th of July of 2020, in Brooklyn. It was very hot. 
and the fireworks had been going off for weeks. Oh. And on the day itself, it was just like an unending thunderstorm. Oh my gosh. So I decided that I wanted to sit on my stoop because I wanted to feel like I was part of the fireworks instead of them just happening to me. So I brought yes. my notebook, which is right over there. And I brought a pen and I brought a beer. I went down to my stoop and I texted a couple of friends who lived in the neighborhood to see if anyone wanted to like come sit on my stoop with me at, you know, six feet away. Cause that was what we needed at the time. Of course. Yes. And Nobody texted me back. So I started crying and I was I would have cried too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was crying on my stoop while it was very loud and hot. And I decided that maybe I would try putting work. Oh, I tried to write about what was happening just to see if that helped make me feel better. And it didn't help. And so I decided instead of trying to write something long, long form, what if I tried to just like fit words together like a jigsaw puzzle? Because I love jigsaw puzzles and I love words. So maybe if I pretend that words are jigsaw puzzle pieces, it'll make me feel better. I love so then that I just idea. Writing lists and lists and lists and lists of like single syllable rhyming words. And eventually, I, I don't know where the idea to like write something about. It was because I, I, I liked the way the words tick, talk, click, lock fit together. And I decided to see if like I could do something with that. And then I just wrote out like lists of one syllable rhyming words. And slowly that sort of distilled into this idea of a baby's day from waking up to going to sleep. And then what one syllable words would fit into that framework. So first I wrote out the rhyming ones. And it's a very like tight and complex structure. So every word is like a one, a two, a three, a four. So it is 126 words, but 50% of those words are the word A. So like a one, a two, a three, a four. Oh, wow. Um, And the rhyming scheme, I don't know if this is an actual scheme or if I just made it up, but the the rhyme is organized with A, A, B, A, B, B, C, B, C, C, D, C, like... So it's very complicated. It sounds complicated. I'm trying to envision it and I have a confused look on my face. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So first I filled in the words, the rhyming words, because those had to be slotted in first and foremost. Right. And then I tried to put the rhyming words in the right order from like what's most likely to happen in the morning and what's most likely to happen at night. And then I came up with non-rhyming words in the like one and three spaces. And then I decided that the first two lines and the last two lines should like be almost, like identically echo each other. So it was like the opening and the closing. It's very complicated. Like it's the sort of book that was like fiendishly difficult to write, but will be incredibly easy to read. It sounds like it. That is so cool. And then my friend came over and I was like, hey, yeah. I wrote a book. <laughs> hey, I wrote a book and I'm not crying anymore. And then I texted a friend of mine, one of my best friends who's also a librarian. And I was like, yeah. hey, I was feeling some existential dread. So I wrote... <laughs> a rhyming board book. And she and I have similar feelings about rhyme, which is mostly that it's bad. And she was like, well, the idea of a rhyming board book makes me feel existential dread. I'm not sure if that's what you mean. I was like, no, I think this one is good. And I sent it to her and she was like, oh no, that actually is good. Okay. I should have trusted you. I cannot agree more fully with that because some rhyming books are real tragedies. It's a hot mess. Don't, literally don't get me started because I have to get one about 20 minutes. So do not get me started. (laughs) Okay, perfect. What do you love about being a librarian? Are you still working in the library or do you just write? I gave notice in like late February of 2020. (laughs) 
perfect. Then I finished out the school year virtually, of course. And I've been doing this full time. I I don't know. The I I loved being a librarian. If I ever decide to not be a full-time writer, I'll probably want to go back to that. Yeah. I just like talking to people about books. Like I love it when a kid runs in and is like, Kyle, 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 I want, I want to learn about pterodactyls. Where are the pterodactyls? And I just we learn about pterodactyls together. Right. Or like when a kid doesn't hear you tell them to line up because they're so sucked into a book. I just, I just really like books and I like talking to people about books. And that's a lot of what being a librarian, or at least my experience of being a librarian is a lot of that. I also love the alphabet and I love putting things in alphabetical order and I could self-soothe by alphabetizing bookshelves all day. Like occasionally, like I was in an airport and I was super anxious about something. So I went into the airport bookstore and I just like very quietly, like (laughs) alphabetized the fiction section. I love that. It's so true. There is something very zen about I'm just this is what I'm doing and it just takes enough concentration to quiet I think that really concerned part of your mind but doesn't require too much focus. You're right. It is. It's perfect. For me puzzling is like that too. Like if I'm really stressed out puzzles regularly. Yes. I have one right here actually that's of Palm Springs. My family has finally been beat down to the fact that there's just going to be puzzles out and everyone will have to deal. Yeah. My boyfriend is like, he bought a puzzle match. He's very accepting. That's that man. He, you are just hitting on all the high points for him. I mean, that is true love. And he's also very handsome, which is important to me. Oh my goodness. I just, I'm so happy for you. I feel very happy about this. I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. So library. I'm so glad. And I agree with you. Do you enjoy, do you think you'd enjoy being a librarian for adults or do you prefer working with kids? I like, I like working with adults. I mean, I worked at Barnes and Noble for a decade oh, that's and right. I only worked in the kids section for part of it. Yeah. I mean, I love that too. Like it's the same sort of like reference questions and the same sort of readers advisory. And I actually miss getting to recommend books for adults. Cause like, I love kids books, but I also love books for adults. And I miss getting to recommend stuff that like would be wildly inappropriate for me to suggest for children. (laughs) It's so true. Can't bring those into the conversation. Oh no, I would get fired and rightfully so. (laughs) And it should be. What are you reading right now? Anything good? Uh, Or is it wildly inappropriate? (laughs) No, fine. I'm I'm about halfway through Amari and the Night Brothers, which I mix by B.B. Alston. It's it's really good so far. I'm like a third of the way through and I'm really liking it. And then next on my to-read pile is The End of Her by this guy I know named Wayne Hoffman about him trying to solve like an old family mystery as his mother is like continuing to develop Alzheimer's. And like, she's the only person with these memories. It's, I'm very excited. He read from parts of it and it was fantastic. Wow. I'm going to write that one down right now. I'm going to need to put that on my uh, massive list of books. And actually I'm horrible. I don't even make a list. I just buy them. And so soon, I don't know. I'll have to be buried with them. Who knows? (laughs) I don't know. The end of her. That sounds good. And I'll link to all these also and your titles too. So what question do you have for me to go to that? Because we talked about now, I feel like you have far more library experience than I do, but did you have a library-ish or bookish question for me? So this isn't fair because I told you not to ask me this because I don't like talking about it, (laughs) but I am wondering if you have dealt with like challenges, like book challenges 
and whether if so or if not, how you are prepared for them. Because like it's bad out there. And I'm also really worried for all of my library friends because it's it continues to be bad out there. And like part of me asking this is just like hoping that like if you don't have a response, you're like, oh, I should get on that because a good, you know, challenge policy can be a career saver in a lot of ways. Absolutely. We do have a challenge policy within our district that I was trained on and given when I first started. So there is a set process in place. It's tricky in a school sometimes because you have a variety of ages and the kids are independent. So a book that's appropriate for a second grader isn't appropriate for a fifth grader necessarily. So when we have things flagged, it's only really for age. Like once in my early days, one slipped through my net and a second grader went home with a book about the Donner Party. So I ended up with an email about that. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, luckily the parent was very gracious about the whole thing. I also, I also got a lot of that and came up with ways to sort of preemptively deal with those at the beginning of the school year. Yes. Helpful. Okay. Well, we'll have to talk more about that. But yeah, I think in general, it just has been so encouraging to me to see the vast majority of people who understand why it's a terrible idea to go down the road of banning books. So I don't know if that answers your question, but we do have a policy in place. And also we're fortunate to live in an area that's very diverse. And I feel like most of our families understand that reading is reading about something that you don't know about is never a damaging thing in my mind. So I think most of the librarians fall on that end, but if in the case we do have a challenge, then we know how to deal with that. But there haven't been any challenges in our district that I know of through my school over the past few years. So I'm thankful for that. That is reassuring. Thank you. Okay, good. Well, it is. It's a tricky topic because there are lots of it it's not tricky. It shouldn't be tricky, but it is. And well, so I mean, I think it also is tricky when you think of like curating a collection because you cannot buy every book. No. But then there's also like not buying a book because it didn't get good reviews and you don't see it appealing to a wide range of readers versus not buying a book because you know that someone is going to come screaming that you're grooming your children by plying them with pornography, like the picture book when Aid became a brother. Yes. Those are different. Those are different, you know. Well, and you've had such personal experience with that. And I'm happy to say that Call Me Max is in our library and regularly circulated. And oh, we have a Max. fifth grade teacher. Yes, I love Max. We have a fifth grade teacher who also just read George aloud to her class, Alex Gino's book. And when she did, I said, oh, I have a picture book though that you might want to read too. And so I gave her Call Me Max. And it was just a great companion. I mean, it's it's good to see those books around part of things. And you're exactly right. Collection development is something that I think all our librarians take very seriously. So it's good to see the heart. I feel like most of the librarians I know are so just staunch supporters, but they're also very fierce, which I really like, right? Give us a sweater set and a pen, (laughs) maybe some pearls. I do. I do still have some cardigans. Yes. Oh, I love a good cardigan. I love cardigans. Yeah. And it has Mr. Rogers vibes too, who's another all-time favorite for me. Okay. Last question for you. What's something you're not good at that you wish you were? Oh, oh gosh. Oh, okay. 
I am not very good at group projects. Oh. I am not much of a team player, and I really wish that I was. I wish that I was better at working with people, even when things don't go exactly how I want them to. That is a major flaw of mine, and I would like to fix that. I don't know if I can. I think I'm too grouchy, but there's hope. There is hope. Are you a control freak? No, I'm not a control freak. I just... I don't know. I am. I'm good. So. <laughs> at, I'm, good at, I'm often, I'm good at compromising on a lot of things, but I'm not good at compromising when I think that I have a great idea and someone else has a bad idea. Understood. Well, I mean, I would just call that discernment. I suppose, but I think <laughs> I would be, I would be a better comrade if I was more able to like work with and organize among my colleagues instead of just being like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. But I think that like naming that and admitting it is the first step towards trying to fix it instead of just pretending like I'm fine. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's so true. The first step is admitting you have a problem. Well, I'm a major, yeah, I'm, I've been bossy for a long time, which is actually probably why I'm good in the library. Cause I just tell people what to read, but yeah, we all, we all have our things that we're working on. We're still growing too, even as adults. It's true. Well, Kyle, thank you for this time. Minutes are precious. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. And I'm so thankful for different kinds of fruit. I can't wait to get it in my library and put it into those kids' hands. And I think it's perfectly timed also for just these conversations that are happening in our culture about censorship, about books, also for trans youth. I think it's never been more important for them to see themselves in books. So. I'm glad that you're I'm glad that you're a part of that and thanks for being with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, next time that's when we'll talk about rhyming. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book.